You are listening to the Food Means Business Podcast, which features the personal stories and secret ingredients behind what it's like to abandon your day job to start a CPG food and beverage business. I'm Janaba Johnson-Jones, former marketing executive turned entrepreneur and founder of food business incubator Hudson Kitchen. Join our community of fellow food business owners and subject matter experts to learn and laugh with us as we explore a startup world that's a little more culinary and a lot less corporate these days. All right, Chris, welcome to the Food Means Business Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you very much. Obviously, uh, thanks for inviting me. This is great. Yeah, so I'd love to hear your story, which I think is pretty unique and interesting. I do talk to a lot of people and you were an Olympian before you started your food business. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, Yo, you want to hear how we came in fifth place? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I it's do. A great story. You were in the Olympics. Like, I can't say that. And not many people can say that. So there you go. I know. That's <laughs> what everyone always tells me when I complain about it. But <laughs> it was obviously a really great experience. I mean, to be in my 20s, you know, I played from basically as 18 till 20 on the U.S. or till 30 on the U.S. team. We got to travel the whole world. For free. We weren't staying in luxury or anything, but we got to, um, we went to every continent except Antarctica. Yeah. So it was a great experience. You know, I made my best friends that I still have to this day and saw a lot of other cultures, had my mind opened, you know, probably a lot more than the average 20 year old. And I wouldn't get traded for anything except for a few games here and there. Do some, <laughs> do some stuff differently. <laughs> and I would have eaten a lot better too had I known. <laughs> so you, I guess retired, the right word, and launched a food business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the first thing I did was open Good On Yet Deli. So it was a little office park deli in San Diego, and it was a great business model. You know, Monday through Friday, no nights, no weekends, no holidays. And I'd worked in one as a kid and thought the guy was pretty smart. So ironically, I ended up opening one about a half mile from his near my home. And I ran that and grew it to five locations. Wow. of the of the office park situations and over the years just learned a lot obviously about running a restaurant and I mean I'll be honest I majored in field hockey so there wasn't a lot of business training going on in my younger life but you know restaurants thank god are a common sense type of business so we just learned it as we went and my mom did our books for us uh, she still does them almost 30 years later thank god yeah I had a lot of people help me along the way as most entrepreneurs do yeah, that's really important. I was just thinking about that this morning. Like I sometimes I sit down and reflect about how many people kind of just gave a helping hand. Sometimes people I didn't even know who had heard about what I was doing. So yeah, people are really great. Yeah, I think this industry in particular, you know, I don't know about other industries like mm-hmm. software and that kind of stuff, but food, it seems the CPG industry, people are always out there just willing to talk to you and give you advice. And it's really nice. It's really nice, especially me coming from marketing and magazine publishing and not knowing anyone or anything. I really felt welcome with open arms. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So many mentors that became my really good friends and I should publish a book of everything not to do. I think a lot of us probably feel that way. <laughs> Just a list. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I know everybody has like this long list of regrets. <laughs> oh. Or a lesson, because you're supposed to call it a lesson. It's supposed to be a lesson. Yes, I know. And I'm supposed to be grateful for just going to the Olympics. I get it. I understand these things, people. So you found success with the delis and then eventually launched some CPG products. I'd love to hear about those. 
Yeah, along the way, you know, I, it's kind of a funny story. I had met this raw food chef when the raw food vegan thing was kind of a big deal. And he made these cookies, you know, these quote unquote healthy cookies. And I was doing a tour of like a wellness center that my friend had opened. And I and I ate one. I was like, oh, wow, these are delicious. And so he ends up getting fired. <laughs> he calls me and he said, did you really like the cookies? And I said, yeah, they were great. That if you can make them, I'll buy them for my delis and we'll sell them all day long. So he said, well, what if we made this and just something like a CPG product and we took it to market? And, I, and back then, I didn't feel comfortable marketing a cookie as healthy. It just wasn't resonating with me. Now, of course, it's a genius idea, right? So I said, as an athlete, how about we make it into a, a bar? Like a, It was a high-fat bar at the time. So that Brazil, it was all nuts and seeds based. So we launched the Good Anya bar. And quickly realized that he was a chef and he didn't want to do the business. So I ended up giving him 10 grand for the recipe. And I don't know where he is today. I kind of took the formula of that and made four flavors. And we launched the Good Onion Bar. And that was our first product. Well, and you sold it in your in your restaurants first? Yes, we sold it in the restaurants, kept iterating. And then, which is really great to be able to like have this working kitchen to do this kind of stuff. And bought a tiny little sealer you know you did with your foot you put it in a package and you can seal it and that was fun and then we took it into our local natural food store jimbo's in san diego it's kind of one of the most legit grocery stores around kind of everything you dream whole foods should be <laughs> but but isn't and yeah and he took it right away and ordered you know four boxes of each flavor for each store and i panicked i'm like oh my god how are we going to make that much so it was a really good kind of validation that we'd traded something something great. So what happened with that product? Oh, where do you want to start? (laughs) It was a very difficult bar to make at scale. You know, we didn't have any gums or weird stuff holding it together. We just used honey or maple syrup and nut butters. So it was really hard to seal and keep the nut oils from leaking out. So we would get pallets of bars from our supplier and the whole boxes would be just darkened with oil. So, you know, and once you do that as a young company, now I've spent, you know, $50,000 on bars. The co-packer's like, well, it's not our fault. I'm like, well, I didn't wrap them. It's not my fault. <laughs> so it just was, it, it was hard. I know a lot more now and how to, how I could make it, but bars are actually very difficult to seal. It's a weird thing, but if you're thinking of making a bar, go into the grocery store, pick up some bars and hold one end of the seal and press the other end. And just watch the air come out. Still to this day, I kind of do it sometimes just to make myself feel better. And very few companies can wrap them. It's often why you see big packages around bars as well. Oh, God. Refrigerated refrigerated stuff is still leaking, but it's more solid. So Mm. it's a really tough industry. Hundreds and hundreds of bars are launched every year, very competitive as well. So we stopped that and started making an electrolyte drink kind of along the way. And we just morphed into that. Why an electrolyte drink? Because it, it's kind of a departure from a, a bar. I mean, it's in the same, I guess, serve, kind of serving the same customer, but it's really a departure from a bar. Like, why? Decide? Yeah. You know, we quickly realized that actually our bar really, moms were resonating with it. Good on you. When we had opened our full service restaurant in downtown Encinitas, our customers really were families, moms that were you know, once you become a mom, you're a little bit heightened about what you're putting in your body. And then, and you're also older in general, you know, usually in your thirties and starting to think about this stuff. So I realized we were a family restaurant. I never went out with a marketing plan. You know, I never did a business plan. None of that. I just 
made this food and opened the door and hoped for the best. Like, mm-hmm. So I've been a little bit lucky. But I did start at first advertising towards athletes because I was an athlete and I knew that Gatorade and Powerade and the sports drinks, you know, the big guys were too much sugar. And that had kind of, I retired and had a really bad case of hypoglycemia where my body just couldn't regulate its blood sugar. And I realized when I went back to school for nutrition, how much sugar is detrimental to our health, especially liquid sugar. You're just drinking it and and instantly causing inflammation. I mean, there's all kinds of problems. We don't have to go into that, but so I wanted something to help me drink more water, but as a retired athlete, I knew I wasn't going to burn those calories. And I did burn them when I was playing. So I didn't know anything was wrong about that when I was playing. But I knew later on, intuitively, I didn't want 40 grams of sugar in a 20 ounce drink. You know, older and wiser <laughs> type of thing. So yeah, we we created it and it's just gone through iterations from a bottled beverage into a powder so we could be more D to C. How did you, you know, being on the Olympic team and in training as an athlete kind of prepare you for to launch a food business, a CPG business? I think that launching any business, especially in this industry, well, probably any, you know, you just have to have a whole lot of I'm not giving up. And being on the Olympic team, you usually train with a squad of 30, 20, 30 people, and there's only 16 that will make the team. So you could be training for four years and then get cut right at the last minute. But all, all those four years, there's World Cups, there's Pan Am games, there's usually a major tournament every year. So you're, and then you're training and you're constantly trying to be a starter or make a practice tour. We're going to go to Australia for two weeks. You're never safe. So you're just grinding and grinding and trying to get better all the time and working out three to nine hours a day. So you're used to long hours. You're used to hard work. You're used to not giving up and that is what it takes to be. And you're used to just having stuff thrown at you. I think so. And on the flip side, you're used to being on a team. So you're okay, depending on people asking questions, trying to get better, bringing in people that are smarter than you and having like a team mentality. I think being on a team as a young kid, I see it with kids we hire in our restaurant. So valuable. They are learning lessons when they're running around in the soccer field at age six, if they're helping pick up the balls at the end of practice and helping bring the cages in, they're learning hard work and teamwork and not just strutting off and say, you guys get it, you know? Sure, there's kids where you gotta like go back out there and get those balls. So we love hiring little athletes because, you know, they can run around the restaurant and bust tables and get yelled at by the cooks to go get more forks and not freak out. They just get the forks instead of start crying and... Well, cause they know it's like, it's their, they have to do their part, right? Like I think that's the whole part of being a team is like, it's all for the greater good. Yeah. And they can take a little bit, you know, the, the cook's not yelling at you. He just needs more forks and he needs them right, right now. So go right, right, right. also <laughs> up and go get them. <laughs> How are you balancing the restaurants with having a CPG business? While they're both food, it's like two different animals, right? Yeah. I mean, only with really good people. Uh, and that takes a lot to hire in a restaurant industry and find good people because it is a transient industry. Yeah. People in many of the roles will come and say, I'll go wait tables in between my career right. because it's smart. You can make them, that's the smartest part-time job is waiting tables. You work part-time and you make really good money if you're in a good spot. So it, we have amazing managers that run the restaurant 
And yeah, that's how I do it. It's just with a team around me. And right now, is the product is being produced at a co-packer or are you, are you self-manufacturing? No, I think, you know, when you get to scale, and especially doing powders, you got to have the right kind of equipment. There's so many things you can do if you're renting a kitchen, but we couldn't do that in the restaurant space, not big enough. So we have a local guy in San Diego that does that and another one in Texas that does our stick packs, a specialty supplier that does those. And you're selling right now the Hydrate product on Amazon? That's right. And on Thrive. And then we are in like naturopathic offices, boutique, wellness centers, chiropractic offices. We really don't, we're not going to go into the grocery channel. That's a, a very difficult and expensive channel. They say you need about 5 to $10 million to properly launch a product in the grocery channel because you, you, know, you sell it to the distributors and they sell it to the store. So you're losing 30 to another 40, 50% margin. They have a massive margin. And then even if the little bit the distributor is supposed to pay you, they mm-hmm. just don't. <laughs> they just so, don't pay you. So with because so it's really mostly direct to consumer, and so like you're keeping more of the more of the money in your pocket, essentially. Yeah, I mean Amazon's expensive. You got to grow. Right. You got to advertise. But at least you know. Same with you know advertising on Meta. You can pull these levers up and down, and do your ads, and you can control things a little bit better. You control your spend. You can't control your spend in the grocery world, right? Sadly, what challenges have you come across and kind of, if you can talk about this one challenge, you know, in building a CPG business and how you were able to overcome it? Honestly, I think if anyone is really thinking of going into the CPG, our biggest challenge is understanding that whole network. Mm. And so you have to get an advisor that understands that we, we were told too late, we raised $500,000 for our bar and we needed 5 million. So what was the point of that year of slogging away, you know, taking investors to meeting to get this and then be out of money in a year? You know, we would sell a pallet for a couple thousand dollars and get paid like 200 because of deductions. So I, I can honestly say that we didn't get over that mistake and we were still grinding. <sighs> so yeah, it's really understanding that network. And another mistake we made is not understanding how our bar was really being made you have to be in the room when your product is being made. You cannot trust somebody else to make it. They're not going to do it correctly. And then all of a sudden you have $50,000 worth of product that wasn't done right. So it's really being involved. And if a co-packer won't let you in the room, then they're not, they're not the partner for you. So that's really a question to ask day one. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. If you had a piece of advice that you would give to someone that was just starting out? I know we just talked about, you know, being yeah. a co-packer, but is there something like you're, you, you have this idea, you're, you know, kind of ready to move forward with it. You've gotten maybe, you know, some people tasting it and they think it's good and you think you're going to make a go of it. What advice would you give them? I was thinking about this because I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> there's a couple of things. You know, there's 60,000 products in the grocery channel, in a typical grocery store, in the grocery department. So forget yeah. about meat and produce, right? So you are trying to create something very unique and you have to be honest with yourself. Do you have something really unique? And if you don't, you're probably not going to get a nod. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, you could maybe not need something unique and have the best packaging and the best marketing. I thought just create the best ingredients and it's going to sell. Well, that's not true. If you're riding a wave of like a paleo maybe craze at the moment or CrossFit and 
I probably could have put some rocks in a package that looked beautiful and put paleo on it and sold it and would have done great. I always, I really think that because I've seen product over product that hasn't been very good, not good for you, but had really slick packaging do well. So you must invest, you don't want to pay the designers. You know, my first logo I did on Word with clip art for good on your deli. I mean, I've had a lot of luck in this, in this world. But when I went to a proper designer that did our latest hydrate packaging, the guy was a genius and he understood the brand and where we were going and it's expensive, but it is worth it. So be honest with yourself. If you have something unique and delicious, maybe it is a better for you delicious product of something that's popular, but the marketing and the packaging has got to be spot on. Yeah, completely agree. Just as a consumer, I walk into grocery store and if I was in the bar aisle, or I'm looking to see like, and I'm going to try something new other than like a cliff bar or whatever the main things that are out there. Like I'm looking at the packaging like, oh, that looks pretty. Before I'm yeah, looking I just, at it, it attracts your eye, right? Like you're just, that's what it is. It's pretty. And hopefully it tastes yeah. good. It looks good. <laughs> you just like teed me up here. So a designer <laughs> told me that the packaging, the front of the packaging is like a first date, right? Yeah. So that's what attracts you. That's why you go in. And then all the stuff on the back is your second date. Hmm, this tastes good. I think I'll going a second date and your website's like your third and your fourth date. So it's really difficult, but keep your packaging clean, especially that front panel. Yeah. You know, all the logos and all the different things you can have. It's that cleanliness. You got, what do they say? Three seconds to attract somebody on the grocery shelf. So yeah. keep it clean and, and beautiful. That's what sells. Yeah. I think there's this need to tell the whole story on the front of the package. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Keep yeah, that's third date stuff. <laughs> I just, it stuck with me, this lady, because I was like, it's doesn't free organic, non GMO. I want it all on the front. They have, they have to know. She's like, they'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what do you love most about being a food entrepreneur? For us, what's really special is that we can make something and I can stand in front of them at their table or even at the counter and kind of watch them put it in their bodies and know that I'm really doing something positive. I think a lot of CPG brands miss that connection with their consumer, but because we've been in a restaurant for 28 years, we've had families come in, we've had kids, little, little notches on our wall as they're growing, you know, we've had people go into labor, we've had marriage proposals, <laughs> you know, the whole thing. So I love, I love hearing from the customers and seeing them and knowing we're doing right by them. It just, it makes me feel good. That's what our whole kind of slogan is. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty special bond. And it's one, honestly, that a lot of CPGs and restaurants need to take a little bit more seriously. Because 80% of our immune system lives in our digestive tract. So we are giving these people food for their, that directly affect their health and their immune systems and I know restaurants don't often think about it. They're just thinking about their bottom line and their margin. And so we all have to, but, but on the consumer side, I would say the consumers have to be willing to pay for the quality. And a lot of people aren't, and they get frustrated, but it's worth it. We just really think about food the wrong way in this country. More for less, it's not the way to go. Talk about that a little bit more. Like, what do you think is wrong? Well, you know, we're, <laughs> how are we obese? on a large percentage, and then we're also malnourished. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. So when you eat processed foods, your body is constantly starving 
for nutrition. That's what your body's reaching out. You're not actually hungry, you're getting plenty of calories, but we overeat because we're eating this like kind of just processed dead foods. So I got really sick from the food I ate. You know, I got Hashimoto's, I developed celiac, I have hypoglycemia, I have vertigo, and I probably would be, I was on my way to becoming an adult uh, diabetic type 1 diabetes. My pancreas was just completely under attack. And then with all the other autoimmune conditions, I was a mess. So I had to really change things. And I realized the power of food and it's quality over quantity. You yeah. know, we see it with electrolyte brands giving us what consumers need to understand is it's nothing about the nutrition facts panel. That panel, the white panel on all the packaging is, it's actually a lie at sometimes. You could have zero trans fats you can say right. that zero and mm-hmm. then look in the ingredient list and there's hydrogenated oils. That's because if it's less than one, the brand can put zero. The numbers don't really matter. I look at the numbers for the sugar grams, mm-hmm. but I'm really, we need to start looking at the ingredients and what we're eating. It's so simple, but we still don't do it. Right. We have 32 milligrams of sodium in our electrolyte powder. And I get athletes all the time. This is a joke. This is not an electrolyte powder. I'm like, I really need to spend some time with you. You know, of course they're like, <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram, of course. <laughs> I had this brand selling 500,000 milligrams of sodium in their product, which is from table salt. Highly processed, causes mineral imbalances, causes blood pressure to rise. It's just, it's a processed food. You're way better to have quality over quantity, nature over a lab all day long. Those 32 milligrams of sodium from the pink salt go into my body, attached to 80 other trace minerals. And do exactly what it's supposed to do. That's right. how we evolve from nature. I put in a thousand milligrams of table salt and I don't really know what's going to happen, but we've, we know we're a more is better culture. Right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So you talked about what you eat and kind of taking care of yourself. Talk about other things that you do for self-care. I do uh, massage. I do Pilates. Nice. I try to just stay active. I walk a lot. I don't do high intensity stuff too much anymore. Again, it's kind of a quality over quantity mentality, but I really try to find time when I'm not thinking about work. Because I went from being so ultra focused and hockey to another 20 years of ultra focused in work, 24 seven. So now I really try to shut it off and do anything else but work I consider my meditation. That's great. I'm like now learning how to turn it off a little bit, it's still, a, <laughs> it's a challenge. I'm, I'm learning. So I'll learn from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, golf has really helped because it's so hard that I really have to think about it. You know, we, I surf and have for like 30 years, but mm-hmm. you can get lost and sitting there waiting for a wave, you know, and then your mind starts right. going and you're in nature and it's beautiful. And that it definitely helps. Yeah. So learning something new, which is what you just don't have time for <laughs> as an entrepreneur. At all, especially golf. I have no time for that. But yeah, it's true. You're right. That's you have true. to. You have to find a way because it's quality over quantity. But yeah. maybe, you know, I say that now after 30 years, I didn't do it in the first 20. Right. I think, well, we, we evolve as humans, like we're learning and growing, and you kind of figure out for me as I've gotten older, I figure out what, what is my priority? Like, what's the most important thing I need to be doing? Versus trying to do all this other stuff. And that, I feel yeah. that in my business as well. I'm like, what's the most important thing you should be doing today? And then leave the rest for another. Yeah. And be okay with it. 
yeah, and be okay with it. That's the being okay with it is the, <laughs> is the part. So I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah. Um, So at Hudson Kitchen, we have what we call the money bell that we ring when we're celebrating something. So I'm wondering, what are you celebrating? Could be personal or professional. Well, I've gotten down to single digit handicap. That's pretty exciting in my golf. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we grew 80% over last year. So, you know, with, with not a lot of effort and really not a lot of money, you know, we don't have investors. So I'm pretty proud that we're growing at a steady pace year over year and and people are kind of finding us and, and enjoying the product. So yeah, I, I think those are two really good things. What do you think accounts for that growth? Because that's, that's, that's pretty big. Is there something in particular that you discovered? Well, you know, it's having a good team, knowing how to, you know, we can still do a lot better uh, with what we're doing. You know, I see these companies that are obviously spending hundreds of thousand dollars with design firms and this kind of stuff. So we do have to get there. And I think that will catapult us. But you know, as much as I get mad at consumers for not understanding ingredients and the nutrition facts, I have to remember that the people who find us do, and they understand it and support us and they thank us. So it's really the consumers that are making this this switch from whether it's they just don't want sugar or they want organic or they understand natural minerals. That's probably a far stretch or most people aren't there yet, but, you know, one gram of sugar over 40 is a pretty easy sell nowadays. Well, thank you. So Chris, let us know or let the audience know where they can find all about you and Good On You. Yeah, goodonyourorganic.com is our main website. We also, if you're in California, have goodonyourorganic.wine. So we do a really amazing, we didn't talk about that, a natural wine club. Oh, well, let's talk about that for two seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit more information. It was kind of fun. We well, when we decided to sell beer and wine at Good On You. We got our license mm-hmm. to be open for dinner. We don't do dinner anymore, but we stopped after COVID, but we, I wanted to dive in and find the healthiest wine I could find. And there's a whole industry out there and it's really fascinating. So yeah, it's, you know, a wine, a bottle of wine, a mass produced wine, doesn't matter how fancy it is, could have a hundred grams of added sugar or the wine bottle sitting right next to it could have zero residual sugar, zero added. So there's no labeling. There's no nutrition facts panel on alcohol. So it's like, what's up with that? It's very much in purpose. So if you're out and you're trying to get wine, you're in a shop, you're in a restaurant, ask for, do you have any natural wines? And food, the word natural means nothing, but with wine, that's what they call them. And anyone versed in the, who's selling them is going to know what you're talking about. And if you're in California, we can ship to you. It's a really fun club. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. You're, you're making the world a better place. The Food Means Business podcast was produced by Hudson Kitchen. It is recorded at the studio at Carney Point and mixed and edited by Wild Home Podcasting. Our theme song is by Damien DeSandes, and I'm your host, Janaba Johnson-Jones. Follow Hudson Kitchen on Instagram at The Hudson Kitchen. And to get food business bites right in your inbox, sign up for our newsletter at thehudsonkitchen.com forward slash newsletter. Listen, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Until next time.